My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with David McDonald. In recent decades, all of us have become familiar with the agenda of privatization, as governments of nearly every stripe have sought both overt and covert ways to push it forward. Similarly, there are countless examples at the local, provincial, and national levels of communities, grassroots groups, unions, and others taking action to oppose privatization. Sometimes these grassroots anti-privatization efforts are successful and sometimes not, but movements have developed a fairly robust set of tactics and scripts for opposing privatization and, on the whole, have not done too badly in the Canadian context when it comes to keeping public services in public hands. Today's guest argues, however, that we need to go beyond that and to develop a politics that's not just anti-privatization, but one that is resolutely pro-public. He's co-organizing a conference called The Future is Public, happening in Montreal on June 15th and 16th, that he hopes will help do just that. David MacDonald is a professor of global development studies at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, and director of the Municipal Services Project. Most of his work over the years has been related to issues of public services and privatization, mostly in contexts in the Global South and in Europe, though he has been involved in local anti-privatization activism in Kingston as well. MacDonald points out that privatization as we usually use the term actually encompasses a number of different things. At its most blatant is the outright sale of publicly owned assets to the private sector. In the Canadian context, this has happened over the years in instances like Bell and Air Canada, but outright privatization has not happened here as much as it has in, for instance, the UK or Australia. However, governments in Canada have made extensive use of things like contracting out and public-private partnerships in which governments retain ownership but turn to the private sector to finance or manage or deliver all or part of the service in question. As well, public services have, to a significant degree in Canada, been corporatized, such that even when they remain firmly within public ownership, they have been organized like a private company, and they behave accordingly. There are two core problems with privatization, according to MacDonald. One is that private companies, whether they own the service outright or are involved via a public-private partnership, need to make a profit. Either that means the service costs more, or it means that the company has to make up that money via reducing the amount or quality of services, cutting corners with things like safety and environmental protections, reducing wages, or some other mechanism. In addition, evidence has shown that because of this drive to wring profit from services, the cost to governments of managing and regulating contracts with private companies is prohibitive if they want to try to minimize detrimental impacts on recipients, communities, and workers. In organizing the Future is Public conference, MacDonald is collaborating with the organization Friends of Public Services and with a steering committee comprised of people from NGOs, think tanks, and public sector unions. 
The conference will bring together more than 150 activists, trade unionists, and researchers from across Canada and the United States to discuss struggles and successes from around the world, and to begin figuring out what it might mean to articulate a pro-public vision for things like water, healthcare, education, energy, transportation, and all the rest. Building a pro-public movement will be challenging. We can all cite examples from our own experience to show that, sometimes, public services don't do as good a job as they should. A pro-public movement has to aim not only to preserve the public character of services, but to improve them, democratize them, make them more transparent, perhaps open them up to the possibility of more participatory governance, and make them more responsive to people's needs and to the way those needs are different in different places and among different populations. This has implications for how organizing and mobilizing must happen. In anti-privatization organizing, the concerns, the arguments, and the approaches are largely similar for campaigns across different sectors and different parts of the world. In pro-public organizing, the rhetoric, the tactics, and the goals will likely look very different from one place to another and from one sector to another. I speak with MacDonald about the problems with privatization, about building a pro-public movement, and about the Future is Public conference coming in mid-June in Montreal. My name is David MacDonald. I'm a professor of Global Development Studies at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, and I'm the director of the Municipal Services Project. Myself, along with a number of colleagues, have been putting together a conference called The Future is Public, building a pro-public movement for all, which is going to be held in Montreal on June 15th and 16th. The intent of the conference is to try and bring together people in the labor movement, NGO, think tanks, academics, community movements, indigenous communities to start to think about what it means to articulate a pro-public vision for essential public services like water and education and healthcare, etc., as opposed to an anti-privatization message. As I'm sure we'll discuss, anti-privatization remains a real concern and, and is very important to continue to keep our eyes on. But our goal here is how do we move away from a defensive position into a more sort of forward-looking pro-public position? I had actually started off with an interest in biochemistry as an undergraduate student and then started studying economics and business administration, and then went off and traveled through Asia for a while, ended up working in Southern Africa for a bit, and came back and started doing graduate work in political economy. And then long story short, ended up doing my PhD research in South Africa early in the mid-1990s when the post-apartheid transition was taking place. A friend of my wife's happened to be from Cape Town, talked us into looking at that as a research location, and he had connections with public sector unions there. And I ended up doing a PhD thesis on politics of public service delivery in the post-apartheid transition, which also coincided with a kind of rising neoliberalism and the introduction of not so much privatization, but more the commercialization of services, and then just sort of continued to work on the topic from there. Privatization is, is actually a bit of a misnomer because it's often used to apply to a wide range of things. In its strictest sense, privatization refers to the outright sale of assets that are owned by some level of government to the private sector. And we've certainly had some of that in Canada. Air Canada, for example, was privatized. 
Bell Canada, etc. So there's certainly been lots of privatizations, but often in things like electricity and healthcare and water and so on. In the Canadian context, at least, we haven't privatized these things necessarily. We've more gotten into these so-called public-private partnerships. So the state often retains ownership of, let's say, a hospital or a water treatment facility or a transmission networks, so an electricity service. But works in partnership with the private sector to manage or finance or do some kind of function related to this. These so-called PPPs or P3s can really run a wide gamut of very small, short-term kinds of contracting out and outsourcing to long-term concession models of, of 25 years plus. But typically, most people, myself included, refer to privatization across that broad spectrum. I would also add the notion of corporatization, and I think it's it's very important because it's actually really dominant in Canada. We haven't privatized, broadly defined, our services as much as other places have, like the UK or Australia, but we have very heavily corporatized our services. And what that means, it refers to a model of publicly owned and publicly managed utilities that are established as arm's length, separate legal entities from the state with some sort of autonomy from the government that manages it. But these managers of these utilities are increasingly tasked with the responsibility of operating much like private companies. This corporatization model is not inherently neoliberal. It's been used in, in many different ways and in, in different parts of the world over time. But since the neoliberal revolution, we've started to see these standalone entities that are publicly owned and publicly managed run increasingly like private agencies. And so Ontario Hydro, LCBO are two examples in Ontario. Hydro is a bit complicated now. There's been some sale of it to some degree. But the LCBO, for example, is entirely publicly owned and operated. But for people familiar with it, it operates very much like a private company in some ways. And so the corporatization model is one we need to look at very carefully because it's commercialized our public services in ways that can be quite problematic. So why is privatization in all of its different guises a problem? Well, let me just start by saying that having services run by a private company, you know, in theory may not be a bad thing. Often these services are pretty straightforward. I mean, water in particular, it's not rocket science to run a water facility. So you can bring a private water company in that in theory could do just as good a job. And, you know, in fact, there are cases of private water companies that run perfectly good water facilities. The inherent problem with it is twofold. One, private companies need to make a profit. And therefore, they are always looking at ways to cut costs, push up prices, marginalize low-income households. And this is a particularly serious problem in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where private companies simply won't invest in, in low-income areas because they just don't see the possibility of cost recovery there. Cutting corners on safety, reducing the workforce, health and safety benefits for workers, salaries, etc. So there's just a structural problem with privatization because of the need to make a profit. The other structural problem is that it's actually quite difficult to manage and regulate these contracts properly. 
So, you know, there was this sort of belief that you sort of privatized, got a public-private partnership in, and then you just sort of, you know, stood back and let things run. Well, in part because private companies are constantly looking for ways to cut costs, which can be problematic. The state actually has to spend a lot of time monitoring, signing contracts, tendering contracts, etc. So increasingly, municipalities are discovering and other levels of government are discovering that it's actually incredibly expensive to contract out these services. So the research, after you know, 30 years of these experiments, research is very clear that there are, in fact, no efficiency gains with privatization in any sector. You can find isolated cases where the private sector has done a better job than the public entity was there. But on average, the public sector is as efficient, if not more efficient, than the private sector because it doesn't need to make profits and because you don't need these you know, teams of, of managers and, and lawyers to regulate these contracts. Where did the idea for the Future is Public conference come from? Well, it stems in part from my international work. Although I'm Canadian and based in Kingston and I've done a lot of local activism work, for example, we managed to stop an attempt to privatize waste management here in Kingston and I've managed to get the city to ban the sale of bottled water in municipal facilities, etc. I haven't been engaged broadly in research in Canada. Most of my work has been in Africa, Asia, Latin America, Europe. Increasingly, I moved away from simply being critical of privatization, in part because it's frankly just so easy to find the problems with privatization. And I got a little bit tired of partly just being negative all the time. And I think the privatization debate is really just stalemated. It's become a shouting match. Those who believe in privatization take their stance. And those of us who are critical of it have a position on it. So my research the last 10 years has really been focusing on, okay, we know what's wrong with privatization, but just because something's public doesn't necessarily mean it's good. And I'm sure your listeners would have no problem thinking of examples of public services that they haven't been particularly impressed with. So my research on a global scale looks at, well, what do we mean by public exactly? You know, who provides this? Is it just the state? Are there communities involved, NGOs, etc.? How do we define a good public service and how do we measure these things in terms of success? We've been doing a lot of case study work and some methodological and theoretical work on what do we mean by a good public service. So we've been looking in places where there are some very positive examples and some very interesting things going on in Latin America, Asia, Europe in particular. And there's a very vibrant debate going on in many parts of the world about, okay, uh, we know what we don't like, but what do we like? And some very vigorous contestations about the meaning of public. Some communities who don't want the state involved, you know, rural communities in Mexico, for example, who say public water is, is something that we think we should run as communities, and we don't want the municipality involved. We don't trust them. So even notions of the state are highly contested. So there's some very interesting debates going on around the meaning of participatory engagement in service delivery. What do we mean by transparency? How do we measure efficiency of public services? And I just don't think we've got that kind of robust debate happening in Canada. I think we've been understandably focused on the problems of privatization. And I think with the Liberal federal government and some of the provincial governments, we've seen a kind of ramping up of privatization, particularly on the financing side of things. But our feeling was that we need to get beyond just a, a defense of the status quo. 
in part because the status quo has been eroded with austerity over the last 20 or 30 years, in part because government services are increasingly being run like private companies, and in part because they've been very top-down and not particularly responsive to people. You know, if you talk to a lot of Indigenous communities in this country, they have not received very good public services or communities of colour. So I think we need to be willing to be critical of public services and have a debate about what it is we want to see. And in doing so, I think we put pro-privatizers on the defensive rather than us being on the defensive because we can say, look, at here's what we want. Here's the kind of public service that we want. Your line that you either have these kinds of problematic public services or you're privatized is a false dualism. There are many different ways of doing public services that are more democratic and transparent and equitable and so on. So the point of the conference is to really start to take that conversation seriously and then see where we can go in hopefully building a kind of longer term momentum. What's the plan for the conference itself? The two key organizers, myself and Drew Jay from Friends of Public Services, we've been working closely with a steering committee of people from a range of NGOs, think tanks, and public sector unions. So there's about a dozen of us organizing this thing. And I'm actually very glad to say as of yesterday, we're more or less sold out. So it's 150, 160 people going to be jammed into this conference venue in Montreal. It's a really wide range of people, including some key American organizations. We've got a fabulous lineup of speakers. It's a kind of a day and a half. Friday evening is opening plenary talks, and we're going to be doing a kind of interactive timeline where we're going to ask participants to sort of put up on a long sheet of paper running across the room success stories in the past and the kinds of public service success stories we want to see in the future. We've invited the new mayor of Montreal to speak about her vision for bringing services back in-house in Montreal. We've been told that hopefully she's going to make it, but it would depend on her schedule. And then we've got Miriam Planas from the Reclaiming Public Services movement in Barcelona, where there's a very dynamic debate, not just in Barcelona, but all across Spain. And that kind of reclamation of water and electricity and waste and transportation services. So we're going to hear from her. And then Cindy Blackstock, the Indigenous leader in Canada, to sort of you know, make sure we're thinking about, you know, what does it mean to talk about public services in the context of First Nations communities and other marginalized groups? And then Saturday morning is going to be a series of workshops on everything from public banking to public telecoms to public electricity and healthcare. We've got eight different workshops with dynamic speakers and facilitators starting things off. And then it's going to be just a kind of jam session for people to sort of brainstorm on where we can go in the Canadian context with these different sectors, some of the successes we've had and possible ways of moving forward in the future. And then in the afternoon, there'll be some more sort of open-ended opportunities to engage on some concrete proposals. And then we'll finish up with some closing discussions and sort of wrapping up. Larry Russo from the Canadian Labour Congress and Avi Lewis from The Leap will be finishing that up. Say more about the concrete differences between what an anti-privatization movement versus a pro-public movement might look like and might do. Well, I think the anti-privatization movement has been successful worldwide. 
And the messaging is pretty consistent and there's a lot of very effective networking. So, you know, people opposed to water privatization in Canada. And in fact, uh, you know, we have people like Maude Barlow who have been leading global voices on this. That kind of messaging is pretty consistent. Now, the impacts of privatizing water in a place like Mozambique, as opposed to Argentina or Canada, you know, the, the contexts are different, but the criticisms are relatively the same. And that anti-privatization movement has been extremely successful in getting the messages out. I would say, and, and this is actually one of the challenges of building a pro-public movement, is that there aren't the same kinds of straightforward universal messages that can be developed when developing a pro-public movement. Take, for example, remunicipalizing water. The city of Paris remunicipalized its water in 2010 when the contracts with Veolia and Suez, big French multinationals, came to an end. This was a very kind of top-down, the municipal government said, we want to remunicipalize it. And the average Parisian really didn't know much about what was happening. Now, if you compare that to, say, what happened in Cochabamba in Bolivia, what's been going on in Brazil, where communities are making their water public again, they're very engaged. These are very much bottom-up, grassroots kinds of initiatives, which are pushing for participatory engagement, for example. So the source of the pro-public movement, the kinds of demands that are being made, etc., can vary from place to place quite dramatically. And so we need to be prepared for those differences, but also in a critical kind of way. So, you know, people are actually starting to say to the city of Paris, look, you know, you need to be better at engaging with people. And in fact, Oude Perry, the new public water operator in Paris, has, has actually started to do a good job listening and engaging citizens in Paris and creating a more public dialogue about the nature of public water. So long way around to say that there really isn't the same kind of blueprint in terms of how you mobilize, what kinds of messaging you get out, what kinds of slogans are used, etc. So, you know, the kinds of public services people want to see in Montreal, for example, could be very different than what people in rural Alberta or in First Nations communities want to see. And we need to be prepared for that kind of diversity and respect that kind of diversity, while at the same time going into these things with critical mind and being prepared to, you know, be critical of our own attempts to republicize and, and remake public in this country. And what can it mean to run public services in ways that are different and better and that don't just reduce those words to some neoliberal, bottom line focused understanding of better? The ways in which we make these services more accountable, more participatory, more transparent will differ from sector to sector. And it could differ from place to place. So if a small town in northern Ontario wants to make its public water provider more accountable, it may be that people actually want to get involved and go to meetings more regularly and, and have their voices heard in decision making. And just to use an extreme example in the Brazilian context, a lot of municipalities use these participatory budgeting mechanisms where you know thousands, if not tens of thousands of people in some cities are involved in decision making about budget allocations. Frankly, I think in the Canadian context, most people are pretty disengaged from our public services and probably just want to make sure they're getting safe, reliable, affordable services. And that may be enough. But I'm sure most people would like to be able to, you know, know more about their services, challenge some of the decisions more easily than we've been able to in the past. A lot of our public services have been very opaque and difficult to engage with. 
Sometimes just small tweaks can make a big difference to the way communities are able to engage with service deliverers. You see in other places where frontline workers are given a lot more respect, their opinions are listened to, their ideas are taken seriously. And so some of the biggest improvements have been engaging the frontline workforce. So there's a whole range of ways in which I think these things can happen and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of examples of other places where they've started to democratize their public services that could spur ideas in different parts of Canada. So what about situations that go beyond experiences of, say, unresponsive bureaucracy in public services to those like many Indigenous and Black communities in the Canadian context where experiences of the state have been as a source of systemic harm over long periods of time? How would a pro-public movement address that moving forward? Well, I think they have to engage those communities to figure out what the problems have been. I mean, we have a reasonable sense of that. But, you know, what might the demands be of those communities, what it is that they're facing in terms of racial discrimination or geographic isolation, etc., and how the needs of those communities need to be addressed in particular ways that might not be required in other communities. What we're hoping to get out of this conference as well is a kind of broad-based coalition building movement that has people sitting around the table from very different perspectives that are respectful of and listening to each other and, you know, perhaps prepared to come up with different visions of what a pro-public healthcare or transport or electricity service might look like for different communities. What are you hoping, in a concrete sense, will come out of the Future is Public conference? Well, I think in the most concrete sense that we will have stimulated the discussion, got people excited about a pro-public and not only an anti-privatization discourse, although the two things are intertwined. And then, I didn't mention this earlier, but on the following Sunday morning, we're going to be having a workshop of interested people thinking about, okay, how do we move forward with this? Do we continue to network? Do we have another conference? Do we set up some kind of organization? Where do we move forward with this? So that's the most concrete thing. Is there some kind of organizational step that we take next? But also less concrete, perhaps, is that people will go back to their respective places and perhaps, you know, start doing some initiatives on their own, pushing their municipality for a different kind of way of providing services or talking about what a public electricity utility might look like. So, for example, the average person in Ontario is opposed to the ongoing privatization of Ontario Hydro, but, you know, the average person in Ontario also hates Ontario Hydro. So (laughs) how do we not only criticize the privatization of Ontario Hydro, but try and move forward on creating something that we like. The hope is that people will go back to their respective sectors and places and ignite some discussion and concrete action there. And there's a kind of irony here in that the success of our public services, by and large, has kind of depoliticized people. You find a much more politicized population in places where public services have either been very bad in the past or non-existent or where privatization has been a real problem. So the challenge in the Canadian context of just reminding people how relatively lucky we've been with our public services, while at the same time saying, look, these things are being eroded and they are problematic. They're not evenly distributed. And that, you know, frankly, we have a responsibility 
as members of the public for understanding what a public service means and the kinds of different social meanings, ecological impacts, etc. of these services. You have been listening to my interview with David McDonald, one of the organizers of the Future is Public conference coming up on June 15th and 16th in Montreal. To learn more about it, go to futureispublic.ca. That's futureispublic.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 